All right. Good morning, everybody. Give you a minute to get back to your seats. Some of you traveled really far. I'm impressed. Well, it's great to see all of you. Like Peter said, my name is Zach, and I work with the Bridges Friends of Internationals Ministry at the University of Bridgeport. And my job is to disciple and train the next generation of leaders in the church from around the world. And I get to work with them to share the good news of Jesus with their peers. It's an honor to be here today. I'm really excited for what we have to talk about today. So let's dig in. A few years ago, at around 2 a.m. in Hamburg, Germany, the police were called to a local neighborhood because some neighbors had reported uh, loud noises, loud music and disturbances coming from a particular house. And so the police showed up, and sure enough, loud music was blaring. The whole neighborhood could hear it. And so the police knocked on the door to try and get the owner to turn down the music. Well, no one went to the door, and so the police knocked again. Still nobody answered. They knocked a third time. Nobody answered. They even called the house to see if they could get the owner to turn down the music. And nobody showed up. So eventually, the police had to kick down the door and storm inside to try and confront the owner who was playing this incredibly loud music and disturbing the whole neighborhood at 2 a.m. And so they ran into the house and they found themselves face to face with an Amazon Alexa speaker. <laughs> at some point around 2 a.m., while the owner was away, without any sort of command, the Amazon Alexa speaker decided to play music and turn the volume up as loud as it could possibly go. Well, the police detained the criminal, aka they unplugged the speaker, and they replaced the locks on the door that they had just broken and went home. So when the owner of the house returned the next day and found that his keys didn't work in the new locks, he had to go down to the police station and get the new keys for the new locks, and he had to pay a hefty locksmith bill as well. Well, in a separate incident, also a few years ago, there was a six-year-old girl named Brooke living in Dallas, Texas, and she too had an Amazon Alexa speaker in her house, and she was talking with the speaker and confiding in it about some things that she would like to have. So a few days later, when an enormous dollhouse and four pounds of cookies showed up at her parents' door, they realized that the Amazon Alexa speaker actually had ordered those items off of Amazon. <laughs> and finally, lest you think the problem is only with Amazon Alexa, a couple years ago, a, uh, fans of a Scottish soccer team decided to tune in to watch their team play, but were completely frustrated for the entire game because there was an artificial intelligence camera that was supposed to track the ball across the field so you didn't have to have a camera operator. The only problem was, instead, the computer decided to fixate on the shiny bald head of the referee on the line <laughs> for the entire game. That's an actual picture you can see. It kind of looks like a soccer ball a little bit. Well, artificial intelligence has transformed the world of technology that we live in today. It gives software and devices the ability to learn and adapt to new information. 
Uh, and the potential positives for AI are limitless. It's great. But as we just found out, it has its limits. There are funny fails, like Alexa throwing a party all by herself, or a camera mistaking a soccer ball for a bald head, or bald head for a soccer ball. But there are also some darker mistakes that AI can make as well. Like AI's well-documented tendency to demean or ignore people based on the color of their skin. Then there's Microsoft's Tay chatbot, which was on Twitter. It was supposed to interact with people on Twitter. And it was shut down in a matter of hours because based on all of the data that it pulled to talk with people, it was almost immediately started posting anti-Semitic and sexist tweets and they had to can the whole thing. And then there's the people over the last few years who have died in car crashes that were caused at least in part by autonomous vehicle software. See, at the core of it, AI is nowhere close to the complexity and adaptability of the human brain. A human would have known not to blare music super loud and would have come to the door when the police showed up, probably. A, a human would have known that a six-year-old shouldn't decide what to order off of Amazon. A human would have known the difference between a bald head and a soccer ball. The problem with AI currently is that it relies on machine learning algorithms that are much more adaptable than, and flexible than ever before. But when it comes down to it, they're really just a set of pre-programmed rules. And these machines lack the ability to function outside of those rules. They can never break from what they're programmed to do. And if there's a mistake in the programming, or if there's new data that shows up that they can't handle, it fails. As amazing as AI is, it's not human intelligence. For the vast majority of tasks that we can do in the world, AI can't replace the human brain without some level of sacrifice. And that's not even counting the endlessly complex tasks that we do every single day. Would you trust AI to parent your children? Would you trust AI in a therapy session? Would you confide in AI if you had a crisis of faith? I hope the answer is no to all of those things because there are times when formulas and processes and algorithms are completely inadequate. You need a person for those things. So the scripture passage that we're going to talk about today is from John chapter 14. And so it'll be up on the screen or you can turn to it yourself if you'd like, but it's John chapter 14. And this is a set in the middle of what's normally called the farewell discourse. It's an extended set of teaching that Jesus gives right after his last Passover meal and right before his death. And in the middle of this farewell discourse, Jesus tells his disciples that he's leaving and that they can't go with him. So this is what it says. The disciples must have been upset by this news that Jesus is leaving because this is what Jesus says in John 14, chapter 1. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. 
If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I'm going. Jesus is saying that while his disciples can't go with him right now, and he's leaving, he'll come back, and he'll take them to be with him. And the place where he's going is his father's house. God's house. Now, we often read these words and think something like this. Okay, it's God's house. There's a lot of rooms. It's a mansion. God's gonna, Jesus is going to take us to live in a mansion with him. But for a first century Jew, which Jesus' disciples were, their understanding of God's house would have been shaped by the songs that they sang every week in worship. And so I want to read to you just a few of these songs from the book of Psalms that they would have experienced in worship on a regular basis. This is from Psalm 23.6, which is part of the famous uh, passage that says, The Lord is my shepherd. This is what it says at the end. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 27.4, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Psalm 36, 7 through 8, how priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. Psalm 65, 4, blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. Psalm 84, 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. And then Psalm 84, 10, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. God's house is beautiful. God's house is full of abundance. God's house is full of safety and blessing and goodness and love forever. Being in God's house means being in God's presence. And it is the highest goal and desire of anyone who wants to be near God. Can you imagine being one of Jesus' disciples and hearing these songs sung week after week after week, and then Jesus tells you that he'll take you there, and you'll be with him in God's house? That would be amazing. Well, Jesus then tells his disciples, you know the way to the place that I'm going. And this must have confused the disciples a little bit because, I mean, they knew about God's house and it was great, but it's not like they had GPS coordinates that could take them to God's house or they just knew that it was the third house on the right. And so Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, actually asks him. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? What Jesus says next is the single most important statement you will hear today. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him 
and have seen him. I am the way. I am the way. Not here is the way. Not let me show you the way. I am the way. Do you know how radical this statement is? Imagine for a second if you were trying to get to the City Fest concert that's happening this weekend in Bridgeport. And you asked me, can you show me the way to Seaside Park? And I said, I'm the way. (laughs) Or can you imagine if you were struggling financially and you said, I just wish that I could find a way to get out of debt. And I said, I'm the way out of debt. That would be ridiculous. (laughs) Jesus is making a shocking and seemingly narcissistic statement right here. He's claiming that the way to God's presence, the way to abundance and goodness and safety in God, is a person. And he is that person. History is full of people who have claimed to show the way to God, and it is almost always a process. Do this. Sacrifice this. Perform this ritual. Don't do this. And the result will be God. Just like a computer programmer with AI, they've set up a complex system and a formula where if you have the right inputs, the output will be God. But just like I shared with the AI stories, formulas and processes and algorithms, no matter how complex, always fail at some point. A couple of weeks ago, I taught a Bible study for students. And the story that we focused on was Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath. And this serves as the perfect illustration for how processes and formulas always fail when it comes to reaching God. So the Sabbath was a day that was set aside each week as a symbol and a sign of God's abundant provision for his people. And God said that anyone who celebrates the Sabbath shouldn't work on the Sabbath as a way of expressing their trust in God, saying, I don't need to work. I trust God's abundant provision. Well, the phrase, don't do work, is actually pretty vague, right? There's a lot of flexibility there. And so over the centuries, religious experts started uh, coming up with different rules to help guide people to know exactly how to celebrate the Sabbath and what counted as work. And over time, it got more and more complex to the point where you were not allowed, it was considered work to heal somebody or even heal yourself on the Sabbath. Unless it was a life-threatening injury, they had that caveat, but other than that, you couldn't heal people on the Sabbath. And it got to the point where, uh, so for example, if you had a toothache, one of the best remedies back then for a toothache was vinegar. You weren't allowed to take vinegar for a toothache on the Sabbath, unless you normally took vinegar in your everyday life. And then that wasn't for healing, that was just your food, that's not healing, that's not work, that's fine. Or if you had a stomachache in a similar way, you couldn't take any herbs for your stomachache unless you normally ate those herbs, then that's not healing. But if you did it with the intention of healing, that was work, that was uh, unlawful. See, this was a complex 
formula for how to obey the Sabbath. And what ended up happening was it actually did more harm than good. It made it wrong to heal somebody. See, it had taken a day celebrating God's provision and goodness and made it wrong to do good. They tried to offload participation in God's Sabbath blessing into some kind of algorithm for determining what was work and what's not. And like we saw with artificial intelligence, no matter how complex the algorithm, it fails. And in this case, it was preventing people who needed healing from getting healing. But Jesus smashes all of these algorithms and formulas to bits, and he actually intentionally heals someone on the Sabbath. He brought healing and life where formulas just brought suffering. Just like in that story, Jesus does not prescribe a process to God in order to reach God. Perhaps totally unique among anyone who has ever claimed to have access to God, Jesus says that if you want access to God, it's not a process that you need. It's a person. He is the solution. He is the way to God. And Jesus, being the way to God, is not just some abstract statement that we can talk about, you know, uh, in a, a very vague way. His statement here actually has huge ramifications for our lives. It touches every single aspect of our lives. And so I want to zoom out here and explore, like, what does that actually mean, that Jesus is the way? So in this passage, Philip, another one of Jesus' disciples, he wants proof that Jesus is actually talking about, like, he knows what he's talking about. And so he says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus says, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Jesus here is revealing his identity. He is God. Jesus is the way to God because he is God himself. The Apostle Paul goes into a lot of detail about this reality in the book of Colossians, chapter 2. And so I want to take a look at that passage today to help explain how Jesus is the way. This is what he says. So then, just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, 
And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Okay, this is a little bit complex, but it's also incredibly important. And so what's the number one tool that you can use for incredibly complex things that are also important? Plato. So I have an illustration here to help you guys understand what Paul is talking about here. All right, so we have three different Plato colors. This is you, okay? You are represented by the pink Plato. Okay, and here's what Paul is talking about. Through our faith in Jesus, this is Jesus, green Plato. Through our, okay, this is you, this is Jesus. Through our faith in Jesus, Paul says that we are united with Jesus. That our identity, our life, our very nature is united with Jesus through faith. Paul is constantly talking about us being in Jesus. And so we are spiritually united into Jesus' identity, his life, and his nature. And so while we're united with Jesus... Jesus is also united with God. Purple Plato is God. We already talked about Jesus' claim that he is God. And this is what Paul says a little bit later, in um, just a few paragraphs later. He says, to those of you who have this faith, you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ with Christ, in God. Jesus being united to the Father, when he talks about, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, this is what he is talking about. Jesus is united with God. We're united with Jesus. We're united with God. This is what it means that Jesus is the way to God. This is actually the core of the gospel, that That by being united with Jesus, his death and resurrection applies to us as well. And we can have new life in Jesus by being united with God. This is how we find the way to the Father. This is how Jesus is the way. Now, verse 8 of Colossians 2 really brings this home for us. I'm going to read it one more time. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Paul is saying, do not let rules and processes and formulas and human ideas trick you into thinking that they can show you the way to God. Because the way to God is a person, and it's Jesus Christ. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, we do not follow a set of rules. We don't follow a written code of conduct or a lifestyle or information. We follow a person, and that person is Jesus. So what does this reality mean for us practically? Well, for those of you who are here and maybe you're unsure about Christianity or you're kind of exploring Christianity for the first time, um, what I want you to leave with today is that the way to God is not a process. It's a person. But for those of you who have been coming to church for a long time and who are Christians, here is what I, I want to ask you as a way of practically applying this. Why are you here? Why are you here? Uh, About six months ago or so, my wife and I bought a car. And so we spent uh, a decent amount of time, we spent a lot of, we spent way too much time (laughs) researching cars online and going and looking at cars. And let me tell you, there are some really amazing things that you can buy with cars. There's Apple CarPlay, which is pretty standard and boring at this point, even though it's amazing. You can get automatic parking in your cars. Do you guys know that? You can get, um, you can get heated and ventilated seats and steering wheels. You can get windshield wipers that turn on automatically when it rains. That's pretty cool. Now, we didn't get any of that for the car that we ended up buying. But those are really cool things. And maybe in my next car, some of them will be in there. But that's not the main thing that we look for in buying a car, is it? What's the main thing that we look for in buying a car? Does it drive? Yeah. (laughs) Does it go forward when you press the gas pedal and hopefully steers as well? Imagine if I bought a car that had all of these bells and whistles in it, but I never actually looked to see if it could drive. And all I did was park it in my driveway and play music and watch the windshield wipers go back and forth. That would be ridiculous. I've been a part of church, a church, for 23 years now. And one of the most common things that I have seen in church is people participating in Christianity to get something other than Jesus. Now, these people would say that they're following Jesus, but when the chips are down and you actually look at their behavior, maybe they're in this to get a sense of superiority over others, or to avoid punishment or shame from God or others, or to feel like they're a good person, or it's because it's their family tradition. That's what they're truly after. And I can say this with confidence, because that was me for much of my life. But our first and only reason for doing any of this has to be Jesus. Worship, programs, charity, sermons, the coffee in the foyer, the whole idea of even going to church, these are all great things, but they are not ends in and of themselves. At their best, they're means to an end. We need to treat them like that. 
Why are you here at church today? Let me say something that may seem shocking to you, but if we truly want to embrace Jesus as the way to God, we need to actually talk about this. Here it is. You ready? The Bible is not the most important part of our faith. All right, I'll see you guys later. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I've devoted my entire life to understanding and teaching the Bible. I think it's incredibly valuable, but it's valuable because of who it points us to. Imagine if I said, I love you, to my wife. And she went and she wrote it down, I love you. And then she memorized it. And then she meditated on it every single day. And then she got together in a small group with her friends and talked about what I love you meant. And then she went for an hour every single week to listen to someone talking about what I love you means. But she never actually acknowledged me or gave me a hug or said I love you back. That is the danger of making the Bible the most important part of our faith. It is completely possible to read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize the Bible, and yet miss the point of the Bible, which is to point us to Jesus. Again, I can say all this with complete certainty because this was me for much of my life. Only when we use the Bible for what it is our guide to be introduced to the person who is more important than anyone or anything else, that is how it can help transform us. The Bible is incredibly important, but it's not the way. Jesus is the way. So why are you here? I mean, I could go on. (laughs) We can make anything in the Christian faith central to why we're here, Maybe it's a dynamic church leader, or the great music, or wisdom for living our lives. None of these things are the way, though. Jesus is the way. And at their best, they point us to the way. But when we confuse them for the way, we actually miss out on the whole thing. So what if you're asking yourself that question? Why are you here? And maybe in your heart of hearts, you don't. You're not 100% satisfied with the answer. What if you think you may have made something or someone else more important than Jesus? Uh, First of all, welcome to the club. Your ID badge is being printed as we speak. But I would utterly fail today if I didn't use my last point to simply encourage you to experience what it is like to be with Jesus. Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life 2,000 years ago. He is still the way, the truth, and the life today. I want you to think about the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 11. This is what he said. He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. In our community group this summer, we spent time studying these words of Jesus, and they are life-giving. They represent the character and the heart of Jesus. This is who we are trusting to be the way to God. He is gentle and humble in heart. I'll invite the worship team up um, as we conclude, but I want to ask you this question. Are you weary from trying to follow a process or a set of rules or a formula to get to God? Are you burdened from experiencing all the different facets of Christian life except for the one who matters the most? Go to him. He will give you rest. Don't just take my word for it. Go home today and get some time alone and just ask Jesus to show himself to you. No formulas, no processes, just him. Let him show you who he truly is and what he has done. Fall in love with Jesus because nothing else matters. Jesus is the way. And Jesus is enough. Let's pray. God, it's amazing that you cared enough about us to make a way to you. And thank you that this is not just another set of rules to follow or a formula, but you are actually the way. God, I pray for all of us today that you would help us to know when we have made something else the way or the most important thing. I pray that you wouldn't um, correct us in a way that is harsh, but that you would help us to see how amazing you are and that you are gentle and humble in heart. I pray that you would guide all of us along this way. In your name we pray. Amen.